0: Well, first of all, thank you, you for the warmth of your welcome. Uh, I know quite a number of you by name and uh, even more by sight, and some of you I don't know at all. But it's lovely to be here amongst you. And what really thrilled my heart and soul, I was hardly minutes in the building when a wee girl came running up to me and announced, my daddy knows you, <laughs> to which I reply, and I know your daddy. It's lovely to be here. Uh, let us turn in our Bibles to uh, Luke's account of the Gospel, chapter eighteen, and uh, we'll read from verse nine. Luke eighteen, reading from verse nine. Is my voice booming? It is. Okay. I once had a very embarrassing well, at least that embarrassed my wife. I was preaching in a church. Uh, Firth of Dundee and uh, my wife was with me in the congregation and I was conscious of the fact that my voice was booming and so I said is my voice booming and a number of people nodded their heads and I asked the the church secretary to come and switch the the microphone off and he came up looked at it and said it's off Charlie But there you go so maybe it should be off I I don't know. Anyway let's turn to more serious matters, more important matters. Luke chapter 18, and we're reading from verse 9. He, that's Jesus, told this parable to some people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Amen. And we ask God to bless not only the reading of his word, but also our meditation on it. Let us pray. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock, our strength, and our Redeemer. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I pose a question before each of us this evening, which is, who is good enough for God? Uh, Not only do I pose the question, but we will seek to answer that question from this and from other passages Of Scripture. But before we get into it, I'll just share an experience I had with you. Some 20, maybe nearer 30 years ago, I arrived at a church which shall be nameless, it was not this one, one Sunday morning, and I was met by the organist. (coughs) We recognized each other because we had met approximately 15 to 20 years before that when I was preaching in another church that he was the organist in at that time. I asked him if he had any contact with a minister who used to be at his former church, and he was very emphatic in his reply no. He was a terrible man. You know what he once said? He told us that we were all sinners. Now, what a mistake to make. We are not the sinners, it's the folk who never go to the church who are the sinners. Well, was the organist right or was he wrong? We'll try to answer that question in our study this evening. But let's look at the introduction to this chapter of 18 of Luke's gospel. It begins with an encouragement to people to persevere in prayer, and the Lord here at the start gives what I call a parable of contrast. Most parables are parables of cons- uh, 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 <coughs> me. Most parables are parables of similarity. Uh, God is like this. Comparison. God is like that. But this parable is quite different from most. It's a parable of contrast. God is not like the unjust judge, the grumpy old man who neither fears God nor anyone else, who is reluctant to answer the the plea of of a, a poor woman. No, God is not like that. God is generous. He's not a miser. He's overflowing in his generosity to people, and he urges us and encourages us that we come to him in prayer and bring all kinds of matters uh, before God in prayer. We'll never weary him. We'll never wear him down. We don't need to try and wear God down. He's not the unjust judge. He's the God of great generosity. And how long should we go on praying for certain things? Well, the answer is simple until it happens. God works according to his timetable, his calendar, rather than what we think should be a more suitable time for an answer to our prayers. So, Jesus tells this parable uh, in order to encourage us to pray. Then he impresses upon his hearers the difference between a right Sorry, this is the right. A right and a left are a wrong attitude to prayer. Approaching God. Verse 9. Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and looked down or treated others with contempt. And it's this parable we're to look at this evening. The parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, or if you're using the uh, authorized version, the Pharisee and the publican, and that's a job description that has changed beyond all recognition uh, since then. Parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It's a story about two quite different men, two obviously different prayers, and two very different outcomes or results. (coughs) We'll take each of these in turn. Firstly, two different men, the Pharisee, a highly educated academic theologian, a man who was zealously religious. He was strict and determined in the pursuit of his religious goals and objectives. He had a high regard for the Bible as the Word of God. He was a pillar of respectability in church and society. And as far as human Uh, beings can judge. He was a good man by human estimation based on external observation. This man had clean hands and a pure heart as far as humans could see, a true Jew and part of the Jewish religious elite of the day. They kept themselves separate in order to preserve their religious purity from contamination with the unbelieving world. Then we turn our attention to the tax collector, also a Jew by birth, but not very religious. He was regarded as a collaborator with the Roman Empire, and it was the policy of the Roman Empire at the time. Whenever they colonized, usually by force, a country or a land or an area, uh, they would recruit locally, local people, to be the tax collectors. And uh, the Roman Empire did that uh, in, in the Holy Land at that time. And these uh, tax collectors collected money for Caesar, uh, uh, <coughs> and they had a reputation for what I think I could politely call a supplementary levy, something that went straight into their own pockets. They were regarded as quislings, as traitors, and they were hated by their fellow Jews in many ways, an outcast. They were regarded as the very scum of Jewish society. And they also kept themselves separate from their fellow Jews for at least two reasons. One is respectable Jews had little to do with them other than pay their taxes to them, hated and disliked as they were. And secondly, because of the nature of their employment, Uh, They feared for their own safety and they kept to their own company. Ideal candidates for a good kicking in a dark close some night. That's the sort of people, that's how they were regarded. Two different men. A more complete contrast of characters would be difficult to find. But let's now turn from the men, the comparison of the men, to a comparison of their prayers. Two different men offering two different prayers. Let's look at the prayer of the Pharisee. The Pharisee boasted of his merit. Because the law of God required his people to fast once a year, by boasting that he fasted twice a week, this man was boasting about the fact that he did on this issue 104 times more than the law of God required fasting twice a week. He also made it publicly known that he gave the (coughs) 10th, the tithe, the 10% of his total income. And then in his prayer, he compares himself with the worst of society. He used the disreputable tax collector as a standard against which he would measure himself. Have you noticed how when people attempt to justify themselves, they always make a comparison with somebody worse? You know, if there's a a church choir, um, someone would say, well, okay, I might not be the best bass or baritone, best baritone, but I'm actually better than the guy three along from me, or something like that, you know? I might might not be the best artist, but I'm better than somebody else in my class at school, Or at college. Now, this is very easy to do. And I reckon that this Pharisee, whenever he sang Psalm 24, either in the synagogue or in the temple, (coughs) he would be convinced in his own estimation that he was the man who had the clean hands and the pure heart. And in doing so, he missed the whole point, not only of the Psalm, but also of the temple as well. He, he couldn't have got it more wrong, even if he tried. Now, we'll, we'll return uh, to this later. <coughs> That's the prayer of the Pharisee. Now we turn to the prayer of the tax collector. We read here that he begs for mercy. In his own reckoning, he had done nothing with which to influence God or bargain with him. He dare not boast of merit because he had none, but he does the one thing possible. Remember where he and the Pharisee were in the parable. They were in the temple. In the temple, the temple was the place where Jews could meet to do their devotions to God, but only because of something that took place in the temple. The temple was primarily a place of prayer and sacrifice. And for the sacrifice, an animal was slain for the remission of people's sins. For the Bible makes it abundantly clear without the shedding of blood, there is no remission, no forgiveness of sins. God's mercy was freely available there, but only through the sacrifice. And it's here we see the fundamental difference between the prayer of the tax collector and the prayer of the Pharisee. The Pharisee is a boaster and a braggart. He talks to God about how good he perceives himself to be. And notice carefully, he asks God for nothing. His prayer was void of any request. It's what I would call the little Jack Horner approach to God in prayer. You know the, the nursery rhyme. Little Jack Horner sat in a corner eating his Christmas pie. He put in his thumb and pulled out a plum and said, what a good boy am I. Well, that's, that's the Pharisee. That was his attitude. He was just like little Jack Horner. What a good boy am I, God. See this. The tax collector, by contrast, begs for mercy in the faith, in the trust that God will give him what he requests. In other words, it is as if the tax collector is saying, if I can paraphrase this, Lord, let the merit of the sacrifice be applied to me, for I need it so much. Because of its great value, let me be. The object of your great mercy. Two different men, two different prayers, and two different outcomes. We read here the tax collector was justified in God's sight. What is it to be justified? Well, the shorter catechism and the larger catechism and the Heidelberg catechism are all very clear, they give a clear, concise definition and description of what justification is. It is to have the f- receive the free mercy of God. It is to have all our sins pardoned by God. It is to be credited as being righteous by God only because of the merit of the sacrifice, the sacrifice of the one and only Son of God on the cross of Calvary, as being the only sacrifice that can truly and fully take away his people's sins. The animal sacrifices in the temple had value and effect only in as far as they prefigured the sacrifice of Jesus, for he alone saves. And all of this solely through faith in this God who through Jesus justifies the ungodly. For the ungodly tax collector, Jesus was his righteousness. And we read here, justified, the tax collector went home in a new relationship with God, adopted as one of God's children. And how about the Pharisee? We read here, he reveled in his self-righteousness. Self-satisfied in his self-righteousness, the proud Pharisee sadly went home unpardoned, unforgiven, unreconciled to God. His pursuit of a religion of merit eliminated any plea for mercy and with terrible eternal consequences. As someone once put it, open sin has damned thousands, but self-righteousness damns millions. Here's a question. Would God's mercy that saved the tax collector, would God's mercy have saved the Pharisee if he had cast himself upon God as the tax collector had done? And the answer, of course, is absolutely yes, but he didn't ask for it. He made no request of God for mercy. Now, we're almost finished, but before we end, I want us to take this whole matter just a little bit further. So far, we've been looking at a parable. It's a story. It's a work of fiction. But I want us Now, to examine briefly two actual factual case studies, both of which had fascinating endings. Two different case studies. Turn to Luke chapter 19, and we'll read verses 1 to 10. This is about an actual tax collector, not a fictitious tax collector, being justified. Where Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when he saw it, and when they saw it, they all grumbled, Jesus has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Forgiven, pardoned, cleansed, restored, reconciled, justified, Zacchaeus expresses his gratitude by seeking to make restitution he's put right with God and therefore he seeks to make restitution not in order to get further in with God or to get in with God in the first place but to express his gratitude to God and this reminds me some of you may may know this I doubt if anyone here is old enough to actually remember it but it reminds me of the revival in Belfast especially in the the east end of Belfast in the 1920s during the ministry of the late W.P. Nicholson one stage he was conducting a campaign in East Belfast in the area where the Harland and Wolfe shipyard workers eh, had their houses. And this was, his ministry was so blessed by God that hundreds of workers, shipyard workers, dressed in their dungarees, hundreds of them marched from the shipyard gates in the evening at finishing time to various churches and especially the large Ravenhill Presbyterian Church in East Belfast, where Nicholson was preaching. Uh, Now, as I said, they were wearing their working clothes. A characteristic of Nicholson's preaching was he, he laid great emphasis on restitution as a mark of true conversion. And the reality of the matter is that during that time of revival... So many shipyard men were converted to Christ that Harland and Wolfe had to go to the expense of building a new warehouse to hold all the tools and the equipment that the men had stolen and had handed back and they got so much back, they said, oh, look, we'll declare an amnesty. Just forget about it. If you've not handed your stuff back yet, you just hold on to it now. Now, there's real conversion being expressed, the gratitude for it being expressed in restitution. And that's what I believe that Zacchaeus was was doing here, articulating here. Well, we've seen a tax collector justified. Uh, How about a Pharisee can these characters ever be justified turn to Philippians chapter 3 and the section verses 1 to 11 and here's the testimony of a man called Saul who became Paul a Pharisee justified he writes though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh I have more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth and the power of his resurrection, may share in his sufferings, become like him in his death, and that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Saul, who became Paul, when he realized on the Damascus road that the Jesus, whose people he was persecuting, in all his religious zeal was a Pharisee, and Jesus sacrifice on the cross. When he realized that this was the fulfillment of all the animal sacrifices in the temple he cast himself on the mercy of God, the overflowing generous mercy of God and so must we and the good news is it's ours for the asking. Um, I can remember when I was a, a young boy growing up in Fisher Street in brody Ferry near the the lifeboat shed, the church we used to go to then, it was a very popular church for weddings on Saturdays. And as was normally the custom, eh, when the, the, the cars with the bridal party and the re, near relatives were going away, a window would be lowered and a handful of change would be thrown out. And that's what we call a scramble or a scrammy, you see. Now, we usually made quite a lot. Some of you are of my vintage and you're nodding. Yes, you know, you know the experience. Most wedding parties departed like that. They threw the money out of the, the window, car window. Occasionally, uh, some of them didn't. So, we were not just too pleased with that. So, we just shouted after them as loudly as we could, misers! Well, they are. Now, the point is, in the giving of His mercy and His grace and His love and His tender compassion and goodness and kindness to it, God is no miser. He's given the greatest example of his love for us and his mercy in the giving of Jesus. It's ours, he's ours for the asking. Shortly, each of us will be leaving this building to go home. What are we going home to? Is it to have a snack or maybe a full-blown supper? Is it to read the Sunday papers? I'm not encouraging that, by the way. Or is it to watch TV? TV? Not particularly encouraging that either, Uh, on a Sunday night anyway. Or is it to go home to our beds? And I hope to be doing that in due course. I'll ask a question here. How will we go home? And I'm not referring to the mode of transport, uh, whether it's car, bus, bike, roller skates or what. I'm referring to how we go home in relation to God. God. Do we go home like the tax collector, justified, therefore forgiven, pardoned, reconciled to God? Or are we going home like the Pharisee, unpardoned, unforgiven, and as God's enemies? Let each of us, friends, learn the lesson of the tax collector and let us avoid the error of the Pharisee. Let's apply to our own lives the example of Zacchaeus. Let's do what Saul did on a Damascus road. And let's make a good and meaningful, genuine, authentic confession that for us, Jesus Christ is Lord. And we do so to the glory of God. If we do, and when we do, like Zacchaeus, And like the tax collector in the parable, we go home justified, put in the right relationship with God, and Christ is our righteousness before the Father. Amen, and may God bless to us the preaching of his word. And I pray just for a moment. Let us pray. Dear God, our loving Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for the gospel being good news. All of Jesus, all of his doing and his dying, all of his rising and his ascending, all of his reigning and his interceding, and all of his returning. Dear Lord, our God, between now and whenever that day is when the Lord shall return, or you should call each of us home, help us even now this evening to declare and confess like the tax collector. Jesus Christ is Lord. We trust in him, the very personification of all your mercy. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.